0: Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful day. Lord, yes, it's nice weather, but it's a beautiful day because it is a day uh, that we can worship you. It's a day that we can worship you because your son gave his life for us. Lord, I ask this morning as we dive into your word that you will talk to us, that you will speak to us. Lord, that I will be able to step out of the way and that you can speak to this congregation um, and, and help us to grow closer to you because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series uh, in the book of Acts called Jesus' Mission Continues. Uh, We're taking a look at disciple making in the early church, and we want to know what lessons we can learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week we're going to finish chapter 15, it's going to be verses 36 to 41. Uh, It's a much smaller section than last week. You know, last week it was, you know, 35 verses, and this week we're just going to hit a small section. But we see Paul and Barnabas parting ways. And this shows us three realities of the Christian life. First is that relationships are important. Specifically, disciple-making relationships are important. That we're all affected by sin, and that God can still accomplish His will. Again, the three realities of the Christian life is that rea- relationships are important, that we're all affected by sin, and that God can still accomplish His will, even though we're sinful. Um, Last week, like I said, we we uh, we had a big chunk, and that was because it was the Jerusalem Council. We um, we studied Paul and Barnabas as they took the the gospel on their first missionary journey from the island of Cyprus up through what is now modern day Turkey, and they worked their way back to Antioch. While they were at Antioch, there was a dispute, and some people said that well. You know, I, I know that these people have believed in Jesus, but that's not enough. They need to do something more than just believe in Jesus. They need to uh, become circumcised. They need to become Jews in order to become Christian. And Paul says, wait, no, that, that, that's, not, that's not right, that the gospel is enough. And so they take a group of people and they go down to Jerusalem and meet with the other apostles and they, the outcome of the meeting is that, yes, faith in Jesus is enough for our, for our salvation. Now, we don't have to do anything else to add to it. <clears throat> we don't have to do anything to, to try to earn God's favor. It's just our faith in Jesus. And so Paul and Barnabas and a few others, they take this message back to Antioch, and they, they share the message there, and people are excited. They're joyous. And from there, this is where we pick up. The Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch and uh we're going to pick up in verse 36. It says after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, "Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing." So I want us to look at this phrase here, preached the word. See it all starts with the gospel. It all started with the gospel. And that's the good news that Jesus came to rescue us from our sins, to save us from our sins. Now, one thing that I notice about our culture is that people don't like to hear that they need to be rescued. People don't want to believe that they need to be saved because, well, we're Americans. We are Americans, not Americans. We can do it. That's the American dream, right? Is that if you work hard enough, if if you pick the right choice, if you make the right choices and you work hard enough that you can be whatever you want to be. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that we live in a place of brokenness. Now, we see this all around us, and when we're honest with ourselves, and we take an honest assessment of our lives, we see this brokenness, and we feel this brokenness, and we know that that's not how it's supposed to be. We know it's not how it's supposed to be because there was a way, uh, God designed the world to operate in a specific way. God designed the world, uh, He created the universe so that we could be in relationship with Him, so that we could be in relationship with each other, and that we could be in perfect relationship with the rest of the world. Well, if there's supposed to be all this perfect relationship, then why is there all this brokenness around us? Well, that's because of sin. And that sin, sorry, that sin is any time that we are going against God's will. It can be uh, doing things that we're not supposed to do. It can be not doing the things that we are supposed to do. Or it can be having sinful thoughts like lust and envy. And that's why we are in this place of brokenness. It's because of our sin. And like I said, people will try to work their way out of it. They can try to earn God's favor. That's what we talked about last week with the legalism. And that, yeah, Jesus died for your sins, but that's not enough. You have to do more. You have to follow all these other rules. And they're just trying to earn God's favor. But that will, unfortunately, that will only lead us back to more brokenness. Some people try to dive into their jobs and earn enough money to try to buy happiness, to try to buy their way out of brokenness. But that doesn't work either. It just leads to more brokenness. And other times people will just get, they're, they're so affected by this brokenness and they, they don't want to feel it anymore. So they try to hide that pain through drugs or alcohol. And again, that just leads back to more brokenness. And so we're here in this state of brokenness. Now, what do we do? If we can't fix it, what, what do we do? Well, thankfully, God sent his son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for those sins. And when we uh, repent from our sins and believe in his sacrifice, then we are saved. We, he is our path out of that brokenness. And from there, through our faith, we are free to recover and pursue God's design. Again, that's being in perfect relationship with Him. It's being in perfect relationship with each other and being in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. Through the gospel is where we will find reconciliation. Through the gospel is where we are reconciled with our Father. And it's only through the gospel that we will find healing for our brokenness. But people don't want to hear that they need a Savior. It is truth, though, that we need a Savior because we can't do it on our own. But I want us to take another look back at this phrase, preached the word. You know, the word here that's used for preaching is derived from the Greek word of messenger. Um, So I don't really think that preaching is the best way or preached is the best way to translate this now, I like the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and that's what I use that, um, most of the time. That's my main go-to translation. But translations, I don't think there is a perfect translation. I think it's good for us to look at a few, uh, a few translations that we trust. Um, and for this phrase... I think the ESV, the English Standard Version, does a better job of translating it. And so I've put the two side by side. At the top is the CSB and the bottom is the ESV. Um, and that says, starting verse 36, and it says, After some days had passed, or after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So here instead of preaching the word, it's proclaiming the word. Now, why do I like that? Well, first, I think it is a a better translation for our context. Not that preaching is necessarily wrong, but the word preaching carries such baggage in our context. You know, most Christians don't feel comfortable preaching. Most Christians don't feel like they're qualified to preach. Most Christians don't feel like they're called to preach. And I think that's right. I, I do think that God calls some people to preach. God calls some men to preach. God does not call all Christians as a preacher. So, when we look at this phrase, and it says where we have preached the word, most Christians, I think, look at that and say, okay, well, this doesn't apply to me. But when we look back at the original Greek, where uh, the word used there is derived from message or messenger, we're all messengers. We can all bring a message. And that's why I think the proclaiming the word, the way that the ESV translates this, proclaiming, is better Because all believers are called to proclaim the gospel. Not all believers are called as preachers, but we are all called to proclaim the gospel. Since all believers are called, then all believers are equipped. If God calls you to do something, He's going to equip you to do it. He's not going to call you to do something and not give you the tools to do it. He calls us and He equips us. Now, unfortunately, sharing the gospel is something that as a church I'm not talking about this church necessarily. I'm talking about the church in general in the United States. I think that sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel is something that we have uh, we've fallen out of practice with. So a lot of Christians feel uncomfortable. A lot of believers feel uncomfortable sharing the gospel. They don't feel like they can do it. That's why we're having this workshop next weekend. You know, if you feel like you are uncomfortable, if you feel like you need some more practice in sharing the gospel, uh, please sign up and, and attend our workshop uh, next weekend. You can find that, again, you can find the registration for that on our website. Um, again, I'm not giving you anything that God has not already given you. We're not going to be uh, giving you any secret sauce to try to go share the gospel. We're just going to be practicing the tools that God has given us. We're just going to be practicing the gift that God has given all of us or as the the book that we're starting in Sunday school, we're just doing what we were born to do. We have to ask, though, why did Paul want to go back to these new believers? Why did he want to travel back there? Well, if we look in the text, it's answered for us. Paul says that he wants to go back and visit them. He wants to visit them. So Paul is trying to maintain a relationship with them. Paul also indicates that it's not just for relationship, But to check on them when he says and see how they're doing. So this points to discipleship, right? Um, But discipleship is another one of those Christianese words. Discipleship is one of those words that some people in the church can define it for you and tell you what it means, but almost nobody outside the church can define it. And so I prefer the, the, um, the phrase, and again, not that discipleship is wrong, not that that word is wrong, but it's been used wrong by so many churches. It's been used wrong by so many Christians. A lot of times when we think discipleship, we think, oh, well, we're just going to take a class, and now we've been discipled. Or it's a, a set of classes, and we're reading books, and that's discipleship. Well, Discipleship is so much more than that. And so since that word has been misused for so long, I, I prefer to use the phrase disciple-making. Now, again, you might say, well, Now, you've just thrown out another term. We have to define that. Okay, well, let's define that. So how do you define disciple-making? Disciple-making, the way I define it, is being in intentional relationship with those around us so that everyone involved is growing closer to God and becoming more mature disciples. I'm going to say that again. Disciple-making is being in intentional relationship with those around you so that everyone involved is becoming uh, or sorry, is growing closer to God and becoming more mature disciples. All right? So it's, it's a mutual growth. It's not, you know, I'm in disciple-making relationship with Harriet so that she can grow closer to God. Well, no, I'm in a disciple-making relationship with Harriet so that both of us grow closer to God. We're in disciple-making relationship with each other, not so that you can grow closer to God, but so that we can all grow closer to God, so that we can all become more spiritually mature. See, we can have disciple-making relationships with lost people, we can have disciple-making relationships with lost people because we're helping them move closer to salvation and leading them to salvation. We can have disciple-making relationships with other disciples, with other believers, so that we are growing in spiritual maturity. Or the Bible would call that sanctification. And see, when Paul says, let's go back and visit, he wants to build a disciple-making culture. When he says, let's go back and visit, he's indicating that he understands the importance of maintaining relationships with, for the purpose of growing closer to God. See, at this church, we want to build a disciple-making culture. At this church, we want to build a disciple-making culture. We want disciple-making to be so ingrained in what we do that it permeates every activity, every meeting, and every relationship that we have, corporately as a church and individually as members. Everything that we do should be about making disciples. But this passage also shows us, so we're talking about relationships, disciple-making relationships. This passage also shows us that there's a relationship here that's not doing so well. If we keep reading, we're going to pick up verse 37. It says, Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. Well, so who is this John Mark? We've seen him before. We first saw John Mark when Peter is miraculously freed from prison in Acts chapter 12. And that's verses 11 and 12. It tells us, uh, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. That's the first time we see that name. But then later in the chapter, that same chapter, um, it said, in verse 24 and 25 it says, But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. And right, so here's John Mark. So we look again at Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, in Colossians 4.10 it talks about John Mark again. Uh, it says, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. Now, some researchers uh, indicate that this Mark is the John Mark that we read of in Acts. We don't know that for sure, but what this does tell us is that this Mark is Barnabas's cousin. You know, it does seem likely that this Mark is John Mark that we've been reading about in Acts. Again, we can't know that for sure, but it does seem likely. So, what's the big deal? We have this... John Mark, who has, you know, he's been with Paul and Barnabas. He went with them to, uh, to Cyprus. He's Barnabas' cousin. Why does Paul not want to take him with him? Well, the answer to that is in Acts 13, 13. Uh, and this is after, or right at the beginning of their first missionary journey, after they went to the island of Cyprus, and when they went back up to the mainland into Turkey, It says, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. So this is what the author is referring to when he says that John Mark had deserted them. He left them. When they were on their first mission trip, John Mark left them. So this shows us that all believers are affected by sin. All believers are affected by sin. So you may be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Jason, how does this point to the fact that all believers are affected by sin? They just had a little disagreement. Well, you see, God is a unifier. He is a reconciler. He is not a divider. The devil is the one who divides. God reconciles. So we look and we say, okay, well, who was wrong here? You know, who was wrong in this situation? Uh, was it John Mark? Was he wrong for leaving Paul and Barnabas on their first trip? Was, uh, was Barnabas wrong because he was too quickly willing to forgive John Mark for what he had done? Or was it Paul who was wrong for being unwilling to forgive John Mark uh, when he's looking to repent from his sin? Well, you know, if we look hard enough, we can find guilt to go around for all of them. So what does this mean for us? See, at any time, any time that a relationship has turned sour... It's because at least one side, at least one side, but probably all sides, is being affected by sin. There's some sin that the devil is using to drive a wedge into that relationship. And see, what we do know for sure is that the gospel brings reconciliation. The gospel brings us closer to God's design because through the gospel we are free to recover and pursue God's design. And as we're growing into more mature disciples as we're pursuing God's design in our life, as a community, as we're all pursuing God's design in our life, then we're all going to be heading in the same direction. We're all going to have the same mission. We're all going to have the same objective. And that is to make disciples. To worship God and make disciples. So if we're all pursuing God's design, then there's not going to be these broken relationships in our wake. For we're all pursuing God's design... Perfectly without sin, then all of our relationships would be perfectly reconciled. However, we know that not all of our relationships have been perfectly reconciled because there is still sin. We're all still affected by sin. We all still sin. But as we grow closer to God, as we become more mature disciples, then there should be less and less of those broken relationships and more and more reconciliation. If we're all pursuing God's design, we'll be heading the same direction. If we're all becoming more spiritually mature, even when there is sin, we'll be able to work through it. Instead of being separated, we can be reconciled. So it seems here that Paul and Barnabas have messed things up pretty bad. Is it so bad that God can't fix it? Well, let's see what happens. We're going to pick up in verse 39. It says, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Uh Uh-oh, that doesn't look good. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see that Barnabas took Mark with him and set off to Cyprus. Barnabas decides to take John Mark with him. And they go back to Cyprus. Now I think it's interesting that they go to Cyprus. And that's interesting to me for two reasons. If you recall, Acts 4:36 tells us that Barnabas is from Cyprus, so Barnabas is going back home. <clears throat> also, it was after they left Cyprus that John Mark uh, deserted them on this mission. So Paul is, or sorry, Barnabas is going home, but also John Mark is going somewhere that he's been before. I, I don't know if he was too scared to go into uh, you know, what we would know as modern-day Turkey, and that's why he deserted them. We don't know. We could. Read that into it, but we're not told that. But we do know that John Mark has been to Cyprus, and so Barnabas is going back home to Cyprus. And John Mark is going with him. So Barnabas returns to his home, and this is the last that we hear about him in the biblical narrative. It's the last that we get to see him. But Paul does refer to him a couple times later, um, and when he's referring to things that they had done together, we can only assume that when Paul goes back, or sorry, when Barnabas goes back to Cyprus. That he is going to continue the mission. He's going to continue his mission. Now this is the same mission that Paul wanted to continue, but they wanted to do it in different ways. Paul wanted to be a church planter. He wanted to go around and spread the gospel to areas that had never heard it before, planting churches along the way. But Barnabas goes back to Cyprus to focus on a specific context in that area, possibly to be a, a pastor of a local church. And not exactly the way that we would think of a pastor nowadays, but to lead a local ministry there. We don't know this for sure about Barnabas, but the the gospel did continue to spread in Cyprus. And even today, there's a church who traces its history back to Barnabas. Today, there's a um, monastery on the island of Cyprus bearing the name of Barnabas. So he does have a strong witness on that island, even still today. So we can be fairly confident that he went back to Cyprus and continued the mission, even though the Bible doesn't tell us. But Paul says that Paul chose Silas. So if you notice, Paul is always traveling with somebody. He's always training someone and helping them to become a more mature disciple. This is instructive for us. We all need a Paul in our lives. So a Paul is someone who is more spiritually mature than us. Um, and who has taken us under their wing to be a discipler for us, to help us to grow closer to God. A Paul is constantly pouring into us and helping us to grow into more mature disciples. It's also instructive if we look at it from the other perspective. We are all called to be a Paul. We all need to be a Paul to someone. see, Paul was always taking someone along with him because he realized that disciple-making is not something that happens on accident, As a church and as individuals, we have to realize that disciple-making doesn't happen by accident. That's why I define disciple-making as being an intentional relationship. Because it, it doesn't happen on accident. We have to make a purposeful effort to do it. If you are a believer, I encourage you that you are more spiritually mature than someone. Even if you feel like you don't know a whole lot about the Scriptures or a whole lot about theology, you are more spiritually mature than a lost person. And you can be a Paul to them. You know, sometimes we can be a Paul in one area of being a disciple while needing a Paul in another area. You know, maybe you may be a really good steward of your finances, but you need some guidance when it comes to having a servant's heart. Or maybe you have that servant's heart, but you need some more training in having a fruitful prayer life. You know, sometimes we can be a Paul in one area, but need to be discipled in another area. So, you know, when we talk about being a Paul to someone, that's not necessarily, I'm always going to be that Paul. I'm always going to be the one teaching and leading. Sometimes those roles are reversed depending on the situation. But what does it say they did? It says, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul continues on his journey, journey, heading toward Derbe and Lystra. This time, though, instead of going by sea, he's going by land. So he's heading back toward those churches that they had planted. What's important for us to note here is that God was able to continue using both men. God was able to continue to use Paul and Barnabas, even though they were separated. These men had a sharp disagreement and parted ways. And as I said earlier, I don't think that was God's plan for them to have such a sharp disagreement. Now, it may have been God's plan for them to continue the mission in separate ways, but not necessarily be separated because of a disagreement. You know, we can think of this in, uh, like, a, a local church who takes and um, commissions a missionary and sends them somewhere around the globe. You know, yes, they are physically separated, but they're not being divided. You know, as opposed to, unfortunately, in our in our culture, it's not uncommon for church splits or different things of that sort, where we have large groups of people leaving because of a certain division. But God can still use those people. God can still use both sides because b- God was still able to use b- Paul and Barnabas. God was still able to use these men to accomplish His will, which was to spread the gospel. I also don't think that this disagreement caused any long-term hard feelings, because Paul speaks glowingly about both Paul and Barnabas. Sorry, Paul speaks b- glowingly about both Barnabas and John Mark in some of his later letters. So we recognize that God is omniscient and all-powerful. This means that no matter how bad we mess up, or no matter how bad we think we mess things up, no matter how big our mistakes are, God is still smart enough and powerful enough to achieve His will despite our mess-ups. This is not an excuse to continue in sin or to ignore the Great Commission. It's not an excuse to do either one of those. But it should be a relief for us. It takes away that fear of failure. Even when we mess up, God can still take it and and redirect our paths to to accomplish His will. It gives us the freedom to go out and to carry out the Great Commission without having to worry that we might mess up God's plans. So we get to our application. Um, What application can we get from this passage to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ? First, when we look at knowing know that it all starts with the gospel. This whole passage started with the gospel. It started with Paul and Barnabas proclaiming the word of the Lord. It starts with the gospel. If you've not yet called out to Jesus for salvation, let today be that day. You can come up and pray with me, or you can find somebody after service and and we will gladly pray with you and talk about the next steps, which would include baptism and church membership. It all starts with the gospel, but it also always comes back To the gospel. When we find our relationships becoming strained, there is some sin that is hindering our pursuit for God's design and it's hindering that reconciliation. So it comes back to the gospel. It comes back to surrendering to Jesus. It comes back to having faith in his sacrifice for our sins. So it starts with the gospel. It comes back to the gospel. The second being. We apply this to our being in that it's important for us to be in relationships. Be in disciple-making relationships. Have a Paul. Have somebody who is out there who is um, showing you what it means to be a mature disciple. Have somebody out there who's leading you into becoming a more mature disciple. You know, pray that God will show you an area of your life that still needs growth. Then pray for God to show you who it is who can be a Paul for you in that area, in that spiritual discipline. Also, Part of being in disciple-making relationships is to be a Paul. Again, pray that God will show you a spiritual discipline that you are strong in and that maybe you can help to lead others in. Finally, the doing part of our application here is to make disciples. The doing part is to make disciples. Just like uh, Paul continued on his missionary journeys to make disciples, Barnabas went back to Cyprus to continue to pour into the community there to make disciples. It goes back to the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. As I said earlier, we want disciple making to be ingrained into the culture of this church. It is our vision. It is our mission. And it's what we have been commissioned to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank You so much for Your Word. I thank You for the truth that Your Word has for us. Lord, I pray this morning that You will help us to surrender to You, surrender to Your will. Lord, whether it's to come to salvation or whether it's to continue to surrender every day, Lord, I pray that You will help us to see Your will and to surrender to it. Lord, I pray that You will help us to be a Paul to somebody. Help us to invest in those disciple-making relationships so that we are helping others to become more mature, so that we are becoming more mature, so that we can glorify you, so that we can make more disciples and grow your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our time of response. You can respond where you're seated. You can come to the front and pray, or you can come pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.